Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This show is brought to you by Flatiron's Tuning, your source for any aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts. Be sure to check out our store at flatironstuning.com and stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning. Well, welcome back to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This is episode number 105. I thought the last episode was 105, but it turns out it's this one. So this one I'm pretty sure is correct, 105. <laughs> and we've got a, another special guest with us today. We've got Heather Holler back. Now, Heather, it was not long after you were on the podcast the first time that you posted something up about the Dakar rally. And and I'd reached out like, hey, like, we have to talk about this after this happens. And well, and now here we are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so thank you very much for making the time. And I'm really excited to see what that experience was like. Can you, can you just kind of maybe explain what the Dakar rally is first and foremost? So, okay, so the Dakar Rally is basically, it's known as, like, the world's toughest race. Okay, Um, yeah. One of, if if not, like, the the world's toughest races. Um, So they used to have it, it was used, it was originally, like, the, the, I think, the Paris-Dakar Rally. So they would do it from Paris down all the way through Dakar. Um, and it was usually always held in the Middle East, but because of Taliban things, they did move it around to like South America and stuff. But this yeah. year we were in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, the, the whole race. The whole race, yep. Yeah. And how long is the race? So I was out there a total of three weeks, 21 days. Okay. Um, but the race itself is two full weeks. I think yep. 15 days total. I think that's right. And there's... Is there two rest days or something like that? Well, kind of. Yeah. There's technically one. Okay. Um, but this year was a little different because of all of the rain. Um, oh, ironic for <laughs> so, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow I managed to pack rain boots and I was the only one. So well done. I was very proud of myself. The new kid was prepared. So. It's that, it's that rally background. You just, you plan for everything. I'm going yeah, to the middle too. of the desert. I'm going to bring my snow jacket just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it got freaking cold out there. There was luckily, I kind of say luckily, um, for the most part, we didn't ever sleep at night. So we didn't have to actually like worry about the low, low temperatures. So we were moving when it was the coldest. Okay. But there was one night where we were able to get a couple hours of sleep, and I, I couldn't. I couldn't sleep. It was too cold. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I, I was thinking about this as we were getting ready to to fire up the podcast here. Like road racers, like you think about road racing, and by and large, you can almost like in this context, it's almost like a sprint race. Like to even start getting close to this, like you're talking about like a twelve to four, a twenty four hour endurance race is where it starts to get in the ballpark of what the Dakar rally is. But then even the guys that are doing like 12, 24 hour endurance races, like if you would say, okay, well, Hey, why don't you go out and run a stage rally? That's over like two days and 150 course miles and like 300 transit miles. What do you think about running a stage rally? And they think that's kind of crazy because there's just so much more that can happen to the car that just like the, the variables at play as a driver, co-driver as a team and rally compared to like a circuit racing. It's, it's way different. It's a way different environment. And I would bet that most of the people that do stage rally, they hear about like, Hey, we've got a seat for you at the car. Do you want to go? And they'd be like, no, 
No, man, that's that's just bananas. Well, that's kind of like, you know, I'm a rally kid. I came from rally and rally cross. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. No worries. Big. Yeah. Uh, Different. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I mean, like I did, but I didn't. And I, it's it sucks because like, I mean, not suck, but, um, you know, even today it's it's a lot more bearable than it was back in the day. And it's still really tough. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, like they're out anywhere from eight to 12 to 16 hours a day, you know, depending yeah. on if you get stuck or not. I mean, granted, you still have to make your stage within that certain amount of time. But there were yeah. people that had to sleep out in the desert when their car right. broke. So it's, it's well, crazy. And from a crew standpoint, like, cause I, I think part of the Dakar is that like you as crew also have to move like that. The, the course is, is, is moving. <laughs> you as the crew have to move. Like, I mean, how much, how much of your time is spent like having to like set up camp, get ready. The car comes in, help them, then like tear everything down. Then you have to go like 200 miles somewhere and all, all that. Yeah. So there were, we, I would say on average, yeah, we, we move every day, two days. There were a couple BVACs where we could stay, I think, three nights, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, we basically work on the cars all through the night. And it's not like stage rally where you only have a certain time. You have all night to work on them. Um, and then... Once the cars leave, if you haven't finished packing up your service area, you finish that and then you haul ass to the next the next spot, basically. Man. So you get most of your sleep in the vans on your way from BVAC to BVAC. Wow. And that's for yeah. two whole weeks. Two whole weeks. That's we got crazy. um we got uh, on average about four hours of sleep the first three or four days we were there. Jeez. Because we were all in at sea camp for, uh, I think, about five days, all in all. Because we were there about two or three days before the rally actually started. Okay. So we were prepping, doing all that stuff. But um, there was still a lot of work to be done. And then shakedowns and the prologue and all that stuff. So, yeah, we were pushing for four days straight. Wow. And and where you're located, I mean, it what it seems like from, from the bit that I've done following the Dakar rally, it seems like where you're located, you're also very remote. Like you're not, they don't put the, they don't put the service anywhere near like the population centers. You're, you're just wherever you need to be just out there. You're literally in the middle of nowhere. Like at first there was like some concern. I'm like, okay, being a woman in that country, it's like, okay, like, do mm -hmm. I need to bring, special clothes to wear like how often are we going to be in public and they're like don't worry about it like uh. you literally travel as like a small city through this country you know you're even when you're in transit you're getting passed by the motorcycles because the motorcycles leave the earliest at like right. 5 a.m and stuff so by the time you get on your transit road there you're you're getting passed by the bikes and stuff so you, and trucks and it's just Nuts, but you never really go into any sort of civilization. It's it's a, okay. a town on wheels. Have you have you been anywhere that felt similar to that? I, I guess I mean desert environment. I think desert is is pretty much where you guys were. 
Yeah, my home. I mean, growing up in Tahoe, you're 30 minutes, 45 minutes from Reno. Okay. Like, Saudi is honestly a really, really cool country. It's, yeah. um, like, yeah, you, you have, like, the stereotypical, like, sand dunes. But, like, when you're in the mountains, it's, it's like, giant mountains and hilltops, and but they're barren. And to be hmm. honest, it kind of reminds me a lot of the Sierra Nevadas out by Tahoe. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just exchange the wild horses for camels. <laughs> you know, so that it's kind of cool. But we don't yeah. have really random, like, but you, there was, like, random, like, oasises that you would come across. Like, just, hmm. like, random fields of palm trees. I think some of them are legitimately farmed, but. Okay. Huh. It was, it's a, it's a wild, it's, it's a really cool country, to be honest. Like, it's actually really, really cool. If you're into the desert and kind of, like, that more barren, like, overlanding lifestyle, it's freaking yeah. rad. Yeah, it's super cool. Right on. Well, and and as far as like an an arena for this race, I mean, how how challenging was it? Because that's like that's kind of the thing with Dakar. Like when they relocated it to to South America, they were like, we we want this to run through some of these like extreme places. Like I think they ran actually through the Atacama Desert, which is this crazy, mm-hmm. very high, you know, arid desert. And they're like, yeah, that's that's where we want to race through. Like, yeah. Was it like super challenging? It was extremely challenging. Um, you went through almost every possible surface other than tarmac, you know? I mean, you get that in the transit stages, but like, yeah. and the thing out there is like, even though you're in the dunes, there's still like these random giant sharp rocks that will just come out of nowhere. Like I'm pretty wow. sure one of the Audi cars, you just see the footage and they're just hauling ass in the desert. And then just out of nowhere, this random sharp rock just takes out their tire. Yeah. And so you still like, and when you're hauling ass in the desert, you don't have time to see stuff like that. So it's pretty, it's, it's pretty insane. And then there's like hard pack, like you're quite like, like off-roading, like King of the Hammers kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and it's, it's It's everything. It's, it's everything. Like some days your tires will come back completely tore up and then you're in the dunes and you can run on the same tires for weeks. It's right. If, if it all goes well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, so, so how did, were you, I think if, if I understand this right, you got uh, called in to work with an existing team, right? So you weren't, you weren't having to like set this up. You're basically somebody that's going out there to help out. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I worked for X-Raid and they're based in okay. Germany, actually not too far from Alzenau from the Hyundai team. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Little, little so. connection there. Small world yeah. as it were. It and is. So, so the, had they been, they had run this race or crewed this race, so they had kind of an idea of what, like, the the kind of things that they needed to bring, that the, what the services were going to be like, that sort of thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So they have okay. a history actually with Mini Cooper, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, they ran Dakar Mini Coopers, and they won, and I think they have like. 10 medals from Dakar. So they're not new. They're not new to yeah. Dakar. Um, technically X-Raid and Q Motorsport are all owned by the same guy. So they kind of operate yeah. as one, one unit. Okay. When you're in, when you're in Germany, you see both X-Raid and Q Motorsport. So Q Motorsport was in charge of the new electric Audis that were out there. Right. So that Which was is, really cool. Did you get to see those cars at a reasonable distance or? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. So like we basically were, they always tucked us up in like the back corner, kind of like away from Eddie. Cause we were so big. Mm-hmm. We were essentially running three teams. Cause you had the mini, the two mini Coopers and the two buggies. Mm-hmm. Then we had seven Yamahas and then they had three mini Coopers, but we all had like the same catering areas and, and like, um, uh, physicians because we had doctors that travel with us and everything oh, wow. so it was all run for the most part sent from the same area okay man you know maybe maybe describe too like how how big is this race like how how many competitors are there and then like i mean you said it was like a small city that was moving like i'm is that not an exaggeration is it like hundreds and hundreds no of no people? not at all like it's it's in like your own wi-fi towers for the most part, like travel around with you. Well, they actually um, purposely set us up um, in a BVAC with no Wi-Fi. At least this is what I'm told. I'm told that they did it on purpose to help keep the old school kind of Mm. like Dakar vibes of just like, okay, they should be here starting from this time. Right. So you can't get any kind of like, you know, uh, information nobody like, oh. knew nobody knew what the hell was going on in the bvac the people around the world watching the race knew what was going on before we did oh wow we so had no idea hoping the car shows up you don't know when it's going to show up it shows up with mm-hmm. like two wheels and a wagon wheel on it and like okay I mean, this we, is what we got yeah we had satellite phones and stuff so like there were a select few that were having communication like within the teams and stuff but like when you have 200 250 people yeah. No, you know, it's like a game of telephone, you know? So like, even yeah. if you're getting information, it's like, is it correct? <laughs> right. Because to be honest, like, um, the, the last marathon that they had, um, I'm pretty sure it was the first day. Everything just like blurs together, but, <laughs> I um, bet. I bet. but the, the, the first day of the, the second marathon, um, the car that I was on ended up rolling and um crashing out and so because this was at the service area where no one knew what was going on there was rumors like oh they're done no they're going to do the stage tomorrow or oh we're going to fix it and they're going to finish the race or no it's it's not fixable so like we were literally even with the car in the service area not knowing what to do with this not 100 percent sure <laughs> wow yeah that 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 is hard as a, as a crew person because like you can only like assess the situation as best as you're given information. And like, if you're not sure, like, Hey, we have to try and scramble because we want to keep this thing going or like the way where the accident happened, we've already DNF'd. So there's no point in fixing it. Like that's gotta be a challenge in and of itself. We just figured, you know what, we'll just start reprepping the car. Like we're going to run it tomorrow and wait for them to tell us to stop. (laughs) Right. That's what we did. It's probably a can do. Yeah. So unfortunately, my time at Dakar, I worked on two different cars and they both rolled and DNF'd. So actually my yeah. my original car DNF'd the first day. Okay. Yeah. So there was just like a ghost hump in the road and they went ass over yeah. face a couple times and But this this <laughs> year there was a lot of attrition. Like those those Audis, the electric Audis, they had a lot of trouble it looked like like it was, it's a tough race. Like it is a tough race. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it takes, it, it claims a lot of vehicles. That, that's I mean, for sure. 
I think usually in rally, I figure if you're in the top, if, if you can finish, you're going to be in the top 50%. And I think mm-hmm. in Dakar, especially over the length of it, I mean, 40% yeah. finishers, maybe like 35% actually finish the race. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I, I want to say of, we basically, they treated like the buggies and the minis. They were all one team. So there was a total of four and I'm pretty sure Three of the four finished, if not all four. Don't quote me on it. Okay. Um, I believe one of the Audis of three finished. Yeah. And then um, five of the seven Yamahas that we brought finished. Okay. So oh. maybe we so- had a good rate. It was yeah. good. <laughs> it's with, I mean, with rally, I mean, you kind of know what you're getting into, but it is like all of the racing is kind of broken up into small-ish chunks and it's, it's over a couple of days. I mean, you're, you know, the whole race is maybe like tech to, 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 to breaking down everything, maybe five days, five or six days. And like, you know, here you're, you're talking about weeks. Like, well, and you get to do recce in rally. Right. Right. Which there, is, there's no pre-running nothing like that in Dakar you get your road book from the organizers and that's it send it so for you is it like knowing what (laughs) like what you knew of what the race was like was was the difficulty of the race was probably the challenges challenges that you were going to face as a crew person was that one of the reasons you were excited about it or was that kind of whether you're like man man this could be a real this could be real challenging I kind of did it like I've always wanted to do it because it's kind of like that concept of like taming the beast, you know, can you conquer it? It's like climbing yeah. Everest. Like that's the pinnacle, like the world renowned Dakar, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I mean, just getting there for a lot of people is even tough, you know? So sure. just being able to be invited onto a team was awesome. Um, but yeah, like a lot of us got really, really sick the first, like, throughout the entire race i got really really sick the first five days and that was when we pushed the hardest and there was a second there where i was like i don't know what i'm doing here Mm. (laughs) uh yeah i was like do i like if it kept going that way i don't think i would have i don't know i don't know i i think i could have finished but I don't think I would have been able to push as hard as I did. That's for sure. It was sure. really, really hard. Man, well, it, it sounds like you did get a little bit better. And, and if you're traveling with doctors, I mean, it, all of a sudden, like, if you're going to have that many people that are going to be working that hard for that much time, like, that kind of makes it a lot of sense. I mean, you you need some medical support there for, for everybody mm-hmm. that's even just in the panic, crewing for the car and so forth. Well, and they have, like, basically, like, a mobile hospital that travels with us, too. And one of the guys actually had to stay over the night in the in the, the medic tent because he was so sick. They had to monitor wow. him overnight. He ended up having bronchitis. Oh, man. Yeah, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. We were dropping, like, flies all throughout. <laughs> man, I, can, I mean, it's one of those, like, all right, so when you when you got the call, when you got the invite... How mm-hmm. long did you have to think about it before you were like, yep, let's do this. I'm, I'm in. I want to go. Did, was, well, it was it something me- like? Oh, no, it was immediate. It was immediate. immediate. Well, because okay. when I left Hyundai, I think I actually posted like a social media post, like, you know, back to freelancing. Like, I'm interested, obviously, in like rally. Um, I'd like to do FD open to this. I'm like, I would love to do Dakar. Mm. And then I think like a couple weeks later. They're like, hey. Somebody called, like, hey, saw saw you wanted to do the car. Um, 
hey, we're going. Do you want to come? Yeah, and you're just I'm like to... all in. Wow. I'm trying to think how I got. Oh, my, yeah, my friend Jerome, he's a truck driver for Q Motorsport. And I like, we've like crossed paths like for the last like six years around the world in motorsport. And he's like, they're mm -hmm. looking for mechanics. You want to do it? And I said, yes, give them my wow. information. Okay. <laughs> so, Man, yeah. that's, yeah. that's awesome. I mean, is that, would you say that that is just kind of when you, when you get an opportunity like that, or when you're prevented, presented with a challenge like that, are you just, um, you just go for it? Is that kind of usually your mentality? Yeah. More or less. Yeah. I mean, so while I was actually out there, um, one of the guys I was working with, he's from Spain and he does a lot of off-roading <clears throat> and he was saying that it would actually be, he's like, he he brought up the fact that apparently it's kind of hard to find a, a co-driver with like really like good mechanical skills. Like everybody has to know how to change like a wheel and tire and stuff. Yeah. But other than like that and blah, 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 you know, well, because, and that's... a genuinely good mechanic as a co-driver is difficult. And he's like, you should try it. Well, and so and... I literally got back to the U S and I started making phone calls. So, uh, okay. Um, I'm going to start co-driving. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Well, and for that race, especially because where the driving co-driver, where they're out there, like you, you can only help them at the services. So like they're on their own exactly. on stage. So one really, really cool thing that I found out. So like one of the things I, how I learned about Dakar, I remember like watching YouTube videos and like something popped up with these trucks, just hauling ass in the desert, like yeah. these giant trucks. Which are the and best. Yes. It was so freaking cool. So yeah. I found out that apparently the majority of those trucks you see are not actually genuinely there to race. Mm. A lot of them are, but because the rules are, if you break down on the stage, only the people in the car or other competitors can help you. Right. So the loophole is these teams, like, for example, we, our team, even though we have Audis, Yamahas, whatever, we entered one of these big-ass trucks in the rally and packed the truck with spare parts for all yeah. of the different cars. Yeah. So a lot of these teams will do that. So, like, we actually had to have, like, I think a gearbox replaced on the stage one night. So the big T5 truck went out there because they all start after the competitors anyway. Right. So they're already right. out there. So Yeah. Well, it's, Those it's such a big... are mostly service trucks. They're not race trucks. I mean, but they're right. still technically entering the race. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a race on their own, and they're servicing yeah. the cars too, like carrying spares. And I think a lot of, a lot of the teams they'll have like like a main lead car, or like their 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 main car, and then like the next two cars that they're running, their support vehicles. So like, hey, if you're having a good race, but he's ahead of you and he has a flat, you have to give him your spare because mm -hmm. we want exactly. him. You know, we want we want our number one driver, number one car to have the best chance at winning. And you guys are basically just there to support him. Yep. Yeah. Which is mm -hmm. which is a wild strategy, but for, for a race over this distance, over this much time, I mean you, you've got to do something like that. Yep. I think in the moto class over the course of fifteen days, the difference between the first and second place finisher was like thirty seconds. Wow. It was That's insane. crazy. It was a really, really good race between the bikes to watch. Yeah, I will tell people if you're if you're listening and you're curious, there's a lot of good YouTube coverage, which I'm I'm pretty wow. sure is still up there. So you got to go back and watch some of this stuff. I mean, there's it's, it's, it's an insane race. 
Yeah, it's insane. Like there was like with all of this rain, there was one stage where they have footage of these like side by sides and the water is up halfway up to the doors and there's like drivers on the roof like trying to flag down trucks to pull yeah. them out and like um there was one so we had a bvac that was actually canceled because it got flooded out so we had to skip it and go to the next and the stage the next day was too dangerous for so they wasn't too dangerous for the race but they decided that the bikes and the quads wouldn't run yeah. Um, but during that whole storm, like the next stage, like there's literally, you see footage of like, there's a co-driver in this like river with a strap on his side by side, like yeah. trying to like pull getting... out the side by side from a freaking random river that just pops up out of nowhere. And like, yeah. it's just the footage was wild, like watching yeah. the bikes and the dunes, like five together. It was like kids in a playground again you know and like it's like really kind of inspired me to kind of get a motorcycle and play in the dirt <laughs> it's 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 crazy what they go through but at the same time it's like man you're, they're doing all this in the middle of nowhere like like to be on your bike going over all these dunes or all these obstacles in like just in the middle of of nowhere and like and you can get lost i mean they've got like the rolling maps and stuff like that yeah. i think i don't think they're allowed gps I, I believe no 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 so the dakar dakar road books are are literally just a, um like the bikes it's all the scroll hand yeah. scrolled paper road books um but the yeah. cars have like a basically like an ipad in there right so it's an electronic road book but there's no gps yeah because they want to make the navigation the part of the challenge. Right. And so that's the kind of co-driving that I'm interested in doing. I, mm -hmm. I got a friend and she's like, I'll throw you in my car. I'm like, I'm afraid to let you down, dude. I don't think yeah. I can keep up with pace notes. <laughs> yeah. Co-driving, even just co-driving for directions is its own set of challenges. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's, there's some people that are like really, really adept at it. And then like, I, I think I would be terrible at it because I get motion sick really bad if I'm trying to read anything. And then like that, that's just that you can't do that. Yeah. So. I was a little concerned about that at first, to be honest. Um, but I was like, well, I've gone for a ride in a WRC car on a stage and like at our test facility, they like tried to make me puke and that didn't happen. So I'm like, I think I'll be okay. Yeah. I did like 10 hours of recce once too. So I'm like, I think I'll be all right. But it's, it's absolutely worth trying. That, yeah, that was going to be one of my questions is like, you've been on it from the crew side. Like, would you want to be a competitor in something like this? And it sounds like the answer is yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually got a phone call. Let's see. Um, last Tuesday and um, from the Jesse Collins foundation. And they're like, mm -hmm. what are you doing this weekend? I was like, uh, I don't know. Building my drift trick. I don't know. Yeah. They're like, do you want to come to King of the hammers? And I was like, funny you say that. <laughs> Because yeah. I'm trying to basically network and find sponsors and basically find a team or somebody that's willing to throw me in the right seat of their car with no navigational experience. And that kind of racing is what I'm interested in doing. So I was like, I'll come down there, help you guys fundraise, you know, meet some people and and kind of get things going. So I think it was a successful weekend. <laughs> Very cool. I, I saw you. some some pictures. So So, okay, explain what King of the Hammers is. Oh my gosh. So, okay. People. So okay. King of the Hammers is basically like Burning Man for off-road. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's two weeks 
more or less of racing, but it's not like one class consistently from, from what I've been learning. Um, they'll have like certain classes have a race on certain days. They have like different challenges. So there's like the everyman challenge, which if I'm not mistaken is more or less like a stock vehicle class. And I think they're like dropout rate, like 50%. Like if you can just finish the everyman challenge, yeah. like you're, you're stoked. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but like after the races at night, like everybody goes out to the hills and like does, so you've got like <laughs> the names of these places are wild. So you have backdoor. Mm-hmm. chocolate thunder um like spooners well and talk about talk about the racing too because it's like this is something i don't it's probably like 10 or 15 years old but it, it kind of came out of nowhere and it was it was kind of this extreme idea it's in it's in the vein of like a dakar rally brother like what yeah. is what is the most Honestly, crazy extreme off-road thing we can do that's kind of where this came out that's of. basically what it is it's like um because uh, and and like that's the thing too is like I, I, you're rock crawling in this in yeah. King of the Hammers, you know. And I didn't see any of that in Dakar, so like there is a little different right. of an aspect. And I think in the four days I was at King of the Hammers, it was way dustier than the three weeks in Dakar. Dang, the sand yeah. is heavier, I think, in Saudi Arabia than the than the fine silt out at King of the Hammers. Sure, <laughs> so, I could believe it. It was crazy. Well, and and the crazy thing about hitting the hammers is it it like it's rock crawling, so it's over like big obstacles. So you need trucks that are, that can go over like really big obstacles, like mm-hmm. really big tires, yep. lots of low gearing and stuff like that. But then what they decided to do, like at least part of it is like, okay, you're gonna do this, go over all these obstacles, whereas normally the challenge is just to make it. Well, now we're gonna time you, and now you gotta mm-hmm. go fast, yep. and. They yeah. built a circuit, so you're going over all this crazy stuff, crazy obstacles. Then you come down, and then there's like there's other sections that are not technical that you can't go faster. So if you build a build a truck that's really good on going over the obstacles, but it can't go faster than like 30 miles an hour, you're going to get crushed on the higher speed sections. And mm-hmm. it's just and then I think that, don't they do multiple laps? Like you have to go around multiple yep. times. Yep, they yeah. do multiple laps, and like we were. Um, the where we were able to watch the race one of the days we were like at a split so you could like kind of decide a route to take which brings me to another point so dakar with the classics they have the option for what's called a chicken loop mm-hmm. so if they were like eh, this looks a little too sketchy they can like go around and like take a different route and a little more bearable for the old classic cars <laughs> well in the, in the classics that's much closer to a stock car in dakar right it's 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 not some crazy purpose-built off-road yeah so thing. i actually went around one night waiting for my car to come back um and there was a team there with a couple of these old porsches and um so they were they were telling us that for the most part it's all you know they'll change the suspension and obviously lift it a little bit and put bigger wheels and tires and stuff on that but for the most part it's they don't really do much with like the control arms and stuff like that it's all stock yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like it's in the vein of the the class eleven buggies, the the stock mm-hmm. VW Beetles that, that race in in Baja, or yeah. like it's, I mean those guys are, I mean, from what I've heard, those guys are the most intense guys because you're running a stock bug in Baja, like with just b- a little bit bigger tires and stuff like that. I mean it, that's that's hardcore. They gotta wear kidney belts in those things or something. There's yeah. no way. It's bananas. Yeah. 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 Man, well, so so King of the Hammers was a good experience. 
It was great. It was amazing. It was super cool. I, I just, yeah, it's kind of like Burning Man. Well, at least I assume I haven't been to Burning Man, but you know, you see all kinds of goofy rigs out there and custom yeah. stuff and, you know, people are partying all day, but amazingly, like it's an organized chaos. Well, it's for weird. something like that, it would, it would have to be, I mean, you can, you can have a lot of fun too, but like there, I mean, it is, it, it's a huge challenge. Like that is not, mm -hmm. that is not a race that you can just easily jump into. I don't think. Yeah, like going out to one of the spectator spots, like on the lake when the, the, the wind kicks up, there was a point where I remember looking out and like it's it was kind of like the scene from Independence Day when they're like driving across the lake bed. And oh, yeah. Cars forever, like from side to side. And then the wind kicks up and you can't see more than like three inches in front of your vehicle. And it's like you just stop and you hope that no one just sideswipes you. And somehow... Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. accidents out there, but I think for the most part, it was a pretty, pretty safe event. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I remember even in the Colorado Hill Climb series, when, when King of the Hammers started, that people started running the rock crawlers up the Hill Climb series. And the reason was because, because there were sections where you had to go fast. And so they some of these guys realized, well, I need to practice taking this big purpose-built rock crawler thing and like change the gearing a little bit and see what it does at like 60 miles an hour. Can I, can I do that? And they started just figuring out all sorts of stuff there. It, it's, it's a wild challenge in and of itself, for sure. Like the, yeah, the people that I'm, try and run stock or more closer to stock trucks and stuff out there. That's insane. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. I know they're like, you're going to get in a trophy truck. I'm like, to be honest, yeah, it'd be cool. But I kind of like, well, the smaller stuff for a co-driver is a little easier for me to work on. <laughs> Sure. So, I don't well, want to make myself look like too much of an ass if I have to get out and actually like change a wheel and tire. Well, those those side by sides because you mentioned there that's a class in the car and it's they've got them uh, they've got them at King of the Hammers now too. Mm -hmm. What those I mean, they're I think those those vehicles they have really progressed a lot in the last yeah. handful of years. Like there, there's I mean, there's a couple people that are running them in, in the U.S. Rally Series. Um, mm -hmm. and they're finding all sorts of stuff to do with them. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised on how big that UTV scene has been getting over the last, like, decade or so. I mean, like, everybody's doing it now. I'm like, it's nice, too, because, like, the parts are nice. You can pick up almost. Yeah. I mean, if I really put my, my heart into it, I could probably lift one of those engines, too. I mean, it's great. It's amazing. Yeah. It's awesome. They're small. <laughs> we, we, we had... Uh, we talked to Reese Millen a while back and oh, he cool. has, he has built one of those that he was running. I think when we caught up with him, he had just actually won the Nora rally in, in his, his uh, vehicle that he had designed that's based on a UTV and it's modified somewhat, but I think, I think it, he can run it either with a stock engine or with a, a small eight cylinder engine that they'd put into it. Mm -hmm. But one of the things he had said is that they actually handle well, Instead of like the trophy trucks, which are just these big, heavy things that are designed to go really fast over everything, but you can't turn them and, yeah. and they get terrible fuel economy because they you know, are not aerodynamic and they weigh, you know, six, seven thousand pounds. So these little side by sides, you modify it so it's got better suspension, better brakes. And all of a sudden you've got a car that gets way better fuel economy. So it, does, it doesn't have to be as heavy. It's nimble. And he was ha he's had a lot of success racing those against trophy trucks because it just it can exploit some of the benefits of the fact that it is 
that it is small, but it's a capable chassis. Yeah, I think I heard of actually, like, I don't, I don't know who, if it was even, I don't think it was this year, but there was a, apparently a side-by-side in Dakar that I think got like overall, like second fastest time or something for the day, some shit like wow. that. I'm like, so if, like everything... they, if you can drive them, they'll go, like they'll yeah. do their job. So it's pretty well, I... cool. I remember talking to one of the, the local guys that was looking at basically getting it certified to run in the rally classes and they had to add safety to it. So like a like better cage around the top and like they don't have doors, so there had to be something there for that. Mm-hmm. But their their point was that you, you go and you buy one of the, the fancier ones that has a turbocharged engine and you put on the safety equipment and that's kind of all you have to do. So for like a, a vehicle that can be competitive in rally in its class, I mean, it's not competing against everything, but like actually the, the amount of energy that it takes to build a car to be out there to have fun and, and be competitive was not that much way easier than taking a stock car off the street. You know, your, your grandmother's in present and building it into a rally car. Right. So, yeah. Think, yeah. But, I mean, these, these Yamahas are completely different than what you can just go and pick yeah. up. But I mean, like, I know like um, X-ray, the chassis that they're running this year are different than last year. And with the two roles that they had, they were actually really happy with the fabrication that, you know, because the, the FIA said you can't race anymore, but there wasn't any tubing that was actually broken. No weldings Hmm. that were cracked, nothing. It was just bent tubes. So like. That's huge. If you can build these things correctly, they'll friggin' go. They'll go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting platform and. More and more people are figuring out ways to play with them. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Heather, as as we're winding down a little bit, I, I just want to ask, you know, kind of what are what are what do you want to do? So like you mentioned getting into a co-driver's seat, so like becoming more of a competitor. Is that kind yeah. of where you're thinking that like is that is that something that now yeah. is the new challenge that you want to take on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one. Um there has with some um potential sponsors, um there's even been the idea and the the thought about driving. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue is, is finding someone that's got enough faith and funding to be willing to throw you in the driver's seat. I mean, even the co-driver's seat for that matter. I just figured that co-driving is probably a little bit more realistic at this point in time. Um, but um, well, it's a there start. Are some things, there are some things in the works that have happened while I was at King of the Hammers that I think very cool. Uh, the cards were given, and I just need to play them correctly. So I'm looking for sponsors. I was fitted for race suits and helmets last week, and um, that's a positive. Yeah, so we're we're gonna go racing in some way, shape, or form. I don't know how often this year. Um, there's actually been a guy who is based out of Utah who is looking for a co-driver for the Baja 1000. So I'll oh, wow. be, yeah, dude, that's crazy. I'm like, Oh dude, I told him, you know, I'm like, I have no actual experience. And this is the 1000 for my first event. He's like, it's cool. We'll go pre-running. Like if you have the time, yeah. you know, can you go testing? So. With, with the Baja, there's a lot of pre-running. So you, you've got a lot of chance to to kind of get the feel for it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, like I, I'm very lucky with the, the time that I've spent at the level that I have in motorsport. So there's a huge part of that world that I already know that takes years for people to learn. Sure. So, um, Would you say that part of it, I mean, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but like being involved in the environment, like just being, being at the event, being like you're, you're a crew member, but you're meeting people, you're in, you're in the environment, you're meeting people that are, like I said, your friend that drives a truck for this other team or, or other teams, just being open to the experience and, and just being present in whatever capacity has that kind of planted the seed so that like through time and through being there more and more, more opportunities have presented themselves. Oh, it's all about who you meet. It really is. Like it's, it's, um, oh no, I'm so sorry. Send the voice. Okay. It's all right. Daniel was trying to call me. It's my little brother. <laughs> I'm at his house, but um, oh my, okay, we'll forget. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's really all like you just you meet people, and it's really important to be honest. I think networking is really, really huge because if people can basically, like for example, I reached out to um, Warren Industries this weekend. Or last week, actually. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, at least sent a reply. And they're like, okay, um, our, our, our guy's going to get a hold of you. Um, this is his name. You know, expect to look out within the next month for a response. Well, I actually got to meet him face-to-face this weekend. Nice. So he can put a face and a personality behind the pitch deck. You know, yeah. and, and and the thing with motorsport is, is like, you know, there's the good old boys club. And I think we might have talked about this last episode. You know, and it's frustrating if you're not in the club, but at the same time, like this is a sport where you need to be able to trust everybody that you're working with, whether it's a sponsorship or part of the crew or whatever, you know. And so if you basically build up this trust with these other people, then they're more willing to put their neck out and help you out and vice versa. So it's it's sure. really, really important who you meet and and um and, you know, and just like being kinda, at the event. Kind of yeah. like uh, Ken Block said, you know, don't be an asshole. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be working through this race that's like super difficult, there's going to be a lot of attrition, there's going to be things that break. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and and what what happens. Like, you want somebody that's going through all this experience that's at least, it's fun to be with, has a good sense of humor, is not Mm -hmm. too like intense or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, being able to mesh well is like, it's just, yeah. Honestly, I just wish there were more team managers principles whatever that understood this concept like the the mesh of a team is so freaking important i would rather have a crew that has no experience that gets along as thick as thieves than a bunch of dudes with 20 years of experience that hate each other you know what i mean it's for sure that's so important that's good advice for life honestly yeah I yeah. mean, really. I mean, it's if if you're going to work at a shop and whatnot, and and nobody gets along, it's you know, it's probably not going to be a whole lot of fun most days. Yeah, and when and you're if fun, it's... you're succeeding, in my opinion. You know, so like, have fun, succeed, do cool shit. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And it's and it's way easier to deal with problems and adversity if you if you've got a team you can count on. If you can like, hey, I just did this thing, but it broke, and you know you're not going to get yelled at. You know feel like you might get fired or something like that if you've got somebody that's going to listen to you help you find a solution mm-hmm. point you to the person that's going to help you find a solution it that's a way more positive environment to be a part of for sure 
I mean, there was one time where I was leaving a dealership, but because I had such a good relationship with the guys there, they're like, you can't go. Like, yeah. What can we do? I'm like, there's nothing at this point. Sorry. Right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, yeah, just working harmoniously with your team, your coworkers is so important and so nice. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other question kind of along those lines that I wanted to ask is because you have now done so much, I mean, you, you are, are probably getting to the point where all of your experiences put you in a pretty small group of people that have been able to try their hand at so many different racing venues and types of racing and stuff like that, that in and of, of itself has to be hugely helpful. But as far as if you want to get into motorsports, but you, you, you don't have the budget to build the car, you know, but you have maybe the ability or the time to help out on the car crew with the car. How much do you think down the road gives you a chance of succeeding or getting involved in motorsports by being a part in, in like the fringes to build up the experience. And like, I know what it's like to be a crew member. I know what it's like to be like the gopher for the crew that I just run into town and get the stuff that they need. Like, does that, does that all play a part of it as well? It's super huge. Um, It's super huge. Like when I was talking with all kinds of people this weekend, you know, at first they're just some girl that says she's a race car mechanic. And then they start the questions. Oh, well, what have you done? Who have you worked for? Mm-hmm. And then the attitude completely changes. So, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think, I think it shows that I'm motivated in my line of work, my commitment to the sport. Um, yeah. The dedication, the sacrifices, <laughs> cause it's huge. It's really huge. A lot of people, um, it's very difficult to have to be able to sacrifice um, a social life, more or less. Yeah. Um, to to but, do this. Yeah, and and it just shows that you know you know what it actually is all about and what's involved. It's not just like the the fun stuff that you see on TV or on YouTube. You know what like the whole the whole thing is about, like getting to the event, setting up all all of the hard stuff that you don't you yeah. don't see or hear about most times. Yeah, yeah, and I think too when you have a history and a resume at that, like sometimes it can be beneficial. Don't get me wrong. Like I love all kinds of cars, all kinds of shit, but there is kind of a a level where things that used to get me really excited, like, Oh, that is so cool. I, the stuff I've seen has topped that now. So I, you kind of get a bit of a numbness to some of the stuff you're around. And sometimes that's, kind of looked for Mm. yeah Um, new kids in the industry i mean don't get me wrong like i love my job and i know how freaking cool it is and rare and stuff but at the same time like it's sometimes difficult i know i had an issue with it when i first started when you're just in awe and you just the focus on the job is difficult because you're surrounded by all of Travis Pastrana and Bucky Lassick and Ken Block and Tanner Faust, you know, mm-hmm. and you've got, so it's, it's hard sometimes when you have a new kid, sure. it's like, are they in it just to be in the scene because it's cool or are they genuinely passionate about the sport and the job? So I think sometimes if you can build up that resume and have a history of it, it shows people, okay, maybe she's a little bit more serious and she's just, you know what I mean? Like it's not 
like just some kid that I just want to be around race cars. You know, well, like, like this that's, is genuinely that's, what I love. That's the lure. That's what gets people in is like, I want to be around these really cool cars, but then you're there and it's like, okay, well you can, now you're here and you, you're seeing all these cool things, but you still have a job to do. Can you, can you still get the job done and be excited by it or, or like let yourself fan out for a minute, but then get back down to business and, and take care of the task at hand. Well, especially as a mechanic, anyone yeah. in motorsport knows mechanics don't, I don't make a lot of money. People see right. me traveling around the world and they're like, Oh my God, I want to do what she does. She got, she makes a lot of money. And I'm like, <laughs> I literally travel for free. I have to, I can't do it any other way. Right. I could literally go manage a Jiffy lube and make twice the money if I wanted to. Sure. So when you have a resume for a history with, you know, years and years yeah, and knowing she doesn't make shit for money. Okay. Hey, there's something else there. about it. There's something there. Yeah. Would you, and just maybe to wrap that up, would you say that like the fact that now you don't have, like you see all these cool cars and it's not like this, this huge excitement around it, but you're still interested in it. Does that tell you that you're really in the right place? It's not just because there's this cool thing that you want to go out there and see. Now you're in it and you've seen so many cool things. You're just like, yeah, that's, that's the new all electric Audi. They're doing something with it, whatever for the car, whatever. But no, it's still really cool shit. Um, my, yeah. my dad always told me that you'd know what you wanted to do when it gave you the goosebumps. Mm. And like, even still to this day, like I know I'm in the right spot because it, you know, I know there's a lot of hate with the electric cars, but even those things under the right conditions are wild and get me going, you know? So yeah. like, I still get the goosebumps almost every time I'm somewhere. Is it, so, is it because of the, how cool the car is? Is it because of the challenge of what you're doing? What I think do you it's think? the situation, you know, like the little, the, 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 like the in the moment situation, you know, it's like even in the car and the podium and my car didn't finish and I was a little bummed. I'm like, I'm literally in Saudi Arabia with these giant trucks driving across this beautiful giant podium in the middle of the freaking desert with F-35s flying above me. And it's like, that's rad. That's crazy. Or even just watching it on the TV and you see these bikes, they're just jumping these dunes and on, and just watching it gives you the goosebumps. Like that's so freaking cool to me. I just yeah. love it. I love yeah. it. That is awesome. So, well, and, yeah. and, and you think driving might be the same thing. Do you think that's something that you'd want to explore? Yeah. Well, I grew up ski racing mm -hmm. and I actually autocrossed my car um, for like five years. Um, I couldn't do it habitually, but I genuinely think if I did, I probably could have been pretty, pretty decent at it, you know, and dirt fishes gave me some lessons and stuff. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> um, I've been around some really cool cars and going karting with some really cool people before too. So I, 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 I think I could be, I think after a little bit of seat time, I'd be, I'd be pretty good at it. For sure. Well, that, I mean, it, it's, it's almost the same kind of thing as you've got to be passionate about it. It's got to, it's got to like scratch that itch, like to, to compete and to go out there. Yeah. Like but, no joke for a week after I got back from Jakar, I've dreamt about off-roading every night. Like, like no it. joke. It's yeah. freaking wild. Well, <laughs> In then, some way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah. Then to go to King of the Hammers after that and see like, like here's this other like crazy test of, of being able to do this stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Man, yeah, you're, you're probably, you're, you're forcing yourself to consider getting in the driver's seat, or at least the co-driver's seat. Yeah. 
Well, that's very yeah. cool. <laughs> I, I'm Thank sure you. you just keep putting the energy and the time into it. I'm sure things are going to fall into place. Thank so you. that's very cool to see. Um, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything else that you wanted to, to talk about? I maybe wanted to ask, because you had mentioned, I, if I if I have this right, that you found there was a lot more uh, women crew out at Dakar than than normal. Like, was that was that kind of a cool experience to see? Yeah, that was super cool. I met two other ladies. They worked for um, the teams called Astara, and they ran like some prototype truck thing with a female driver. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and I, I connected with these ladies. It was just cool because, like, I, I know M Sport has a WRC mechanic also, but I never got a chance to actually talk to her. Yeah. Um, and, like, it was cool because these girls totally, like, open arms. Uh, I, they were the mechanics for one of my drivers last season, too. So it just it was really cool, you know? Like, I, I, you don't ever really get to see them out in the wild, you know? So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It was really cool. And, and I like look these girls up on social media and like they're doing rad stuff like road racing, you know, endurance 24 hours. They were, one of them was in Daytona. So like, it's wow. It was That's really awesome. cool. It's cool. I, I feel kind of silly, but I, it's cool. You just, no, it's awesome. you, don't, you don't see it. And for me, I, I think I've mentioned it before. It's like the more ladies that are there, the less weird it is for other people you know, in the less kind of a, of a circus show, it might seem to be. So <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's becoming more of the norm instead of the unusual thing. And I, well, yeah, I don't know if it's an off-road thing, but there's a crap load of ladies down there at King of the Hammers too. It was really cool. Is that, is that why the Jesse Combs foundation was down there or some people from the Jesse Combs foundation was? So um, that was actually Jesse's like playground. That was her backyard. Um, she, she ran it a few times, didn't she? Like she ran, first... ran in the race. She was first queen of the hammers. Yeah, actually. So um, the the Jeep that she won the Everyman challenge and um, they didn't know where it was for a while, found oh, no. the owner, offered to buy it off of him. And he's like, I'm just going to donate it. So we actually were able to have Jesse's Jeep at King wow. of the Hammers. Um, and I got to drive her. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Driver. So we're going to. I'm actually working with them and we're going to figure out how to kind of get Goldie back into shape and, and figure out what we're going to do with Goldie and see if we keep her as a show piece, educational piece, or if we're going to do her as like a, we're going to keep her in the dirt and maybe put some ladies behind the wheel. I don't know. But Man, I get to be is... part of that history in the process. They're going to try to start um, recording the history of the car and all that stuff. So yeah. it's, it's cool. Yeah. For such an iconic car like that, it's so like you will kind of want to preserve it because it did something yeah. really cool and it has a lot of history. But with mm -hmm. race cars, it's like they're race cars. They're meant to be right, doing stuff. Right. And like... they're like, ah, yeah, they're like, we feel Jesse would still want to use her. But like at the same time, it's so because she sat in the Peterson, too. Mm -hmm. So she's a show, you know, she's been in museums. So it's like, ah, what do we do? Cause we don't want to wreck her either, but eh, <laughs> so that, that's for them to figure out. I'm just here to one. help and, and do what yeah. I can. So. <laughs> Very cool. And, and yeah. it, so because of that, does, is the Jesse Combs foundation, is that one of the areas that they're trying to really help more, more women mechanics and women competitors get involved with in that, in that race specifically, or that type of racing? Not necessarily. It's just what we have access to at the moment, mm -hmm. you know, because that was 
Jesse's thing was more of the off-roading stuff. You know, I think if sure. Jesse was maybe into drag racing and, and we were able to get a drag car, then maybe right. we would do something with that. But I, it's more, I think that just, that was her world. So Sure. Sure. It makes, it makes total sense. And it's, it's very cool that you guys were able to go down there. I mean, it's, it's amazing that you guys were able to track the car down. Or the, the Jeep yeah, down. it was really, really so. awesome. So uh, actually Joey Savvy from, from, her, her main sponsor there for the truck, the one that basically had gave her the chance. He, he, mm-hmm. he donated, donated it back to the foundation. So that was, really, that's awesome. Really, yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Well, Heather, thank you again so much for your time. Thanks for, thanks for making the time to stand and chat with us again and come back and tell us all these new tales of, of adventure. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if you co-drive in the Baja, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to twist your arm to come back on and tell us what that's like. Or I even just, totally even just get involved down. with Baja. Nope. Yeah, I mean, whatever's clever, you you know how to get a hold of me. <laughs> I do, I do, brilliant. Well, thank you so much. I'm, you know, thanks for making the time because I know that this was a little bit unplanned, so really appreciate it. Best of luck in the future endeavors, and we're we're gonna be uh, we'll keep an eye out. And if uh, awesome. you ever have something else cool that you want to come on and talk to us about, by all means, just just uh, send the word. Awesome, cool. Thanks, John. <laughs> right, thanks, Heather. Take care. Have a good one. Uh huh. Bye bye. Thanks everyone for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. Once again, we'd like to let you know that your support is what makes this show possible. Be sure to check out our online store at flatironstuning.com for any of your aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts needs. And as always, stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning.